1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. This is the 231st episode of the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. My name is Rob Snow White, and this is the last of my series of podcasts from the United Kingdom. My wife had a business trip to London, and I joined her while she was at business meetings all day. I got to walk around and have fun and explore the city. And while we were planning the trip, there was one night I was on Instagram, and I noticed the London Fly Fishing Fair page said, come to the show March 22nd to 23rd. I was like, my goodness, I'm going to be there. So I emailed Fergus and arranged to go and found out all about it. And let's talk about my trip to London leading up to or culminating at the fly fishing show. Sunday, we landed early morning. We walked around, got our bearings. We walked through Hyde Park and immediately noticed most, if not all, the dogs were off their leashes. There were geese. There were swans. There were little herons. They were ducks. They were pigeons. These dogs did not even look at them. I don't understand how well behaved these dogs were. Apparently, a lot of those birds belong to the queen, and if your dog goes after them, your dog dies. I don't know if the dogs know that, but I've never seen anything like it. Dogs off the leash, they'd walk ahead 50, 60 feet, sniff a tree, walk past a swan, and go back to their owner, walk around them, and then go off in another direction. And we were dumbfounded by this. We ended up at Dishoom in London in Soho for lunch. So Dishoom, D-I-S-H-O-O-M. And I grew up in Northern Virginia. It's a pretty international city and suburbs area. And I thought I knew good Indian food. I mean, I've grown up eating Indian food in restaurants and at home my entire life. Dishoom convinced me that what I've been eating here in America for my entire life is a complete sham. 
that food was so damn good. The lentils, the chicken, the fresh garlic naan, the chutneys to put on everything were... I can't describe to you how amazing it was, and I'm trying to recreate them. And I talked with Misty Dillon a bit at the last beer tie about Merg Malai, which is the marinating and cream overnight. Oh, my God. It was so good. So we need to do a trip back to Deshoom. And then we stopped at a small pub in Soho, had our first pint of Guinness, sat with some locals, and then headed back to the hotel. Monday was my... Day to go to the Natural History Museum. Now, I spent most of Sunday walking around, so I had my bearings using Google Earth, Google Maps, and I wanted to go to the Natural History Museum. There's a couple of things that have been on my bucket list for most of my life. That would be going to the Natural History Museum there and seeing Darwin's collections and also seeing Darwin and Newton's graves at Westminster Abbey. So I walked two and a half miles to the Natural History Museum through Hyde Park. I noticed there's a leather suitcase wedged under a bush. And I waved down some officers or soldiers, I don't know what you call them, on horseback. And, you know, if you see something, say something. I said, yeah, there's a, there's a leather bag sitting under a bush over there in a populated area of the park. And their response was, we'll get to it, which surprised me. I also saw armored soldiers on horses in the park. Just things you don't see here in America, ever. So the walk was fun. It was a little sweaty and hot getting there. The museum is from the 1870s. And I walked around, and it's a pretty amazing building. It's built like a cathedral. And I asked where Darwin stuff was, so I'm directed upstairs, and there's this tiny little room, and you walk in, and the first thing you see is a great auk. And you're going to have to look that up. And, of course, my excitement starts to just go nuts. I'm seeing things you never thought as a biologist or a science nerd you'd ever see. So I take a picture of that. It turns out it was out of focus. I didn't realize until afterwards. And I'm making my way around, and they have an Archaeopteryx fossil. Much smaller than I thought it would be. And then I get to Alfred Russell Wallace's butterflies. And that kind of stopped me in my tracks. These are the, the two guys in there, Darwin and Wallace. If you read The Feather Thief, you've got more of an introduction to them than you'll get in most other places. But some of the premier entomological and organismal specimen collections from the Gilded Age of the British naturalist. And to see those butterflies that he collected in the Malay Archipelago was, I tried getting a hold of my professors in college to let them know that I'd finally seen it. And then you go around a little bit more and there's Darwin's pigeon collections. He, he didn't just collect birds in the Galapagos. He was obsessed with pigeons and earthworms and, and other things. And he's the first person ever to put wheels on an office chair. So right now I can... Right now, I can thank him because I'm sliding around on my office chair. So that was pretty cool. And I said, you know, where's the rest of the stuff? I thought I'd see some really cool things. And they said, you got to go on a private tour. It's 15 pounds. You go in the basement. So I get down into the basement at this tour. And most of the museum, I, I've worked at museums in D.C. So I've seen the dinosaurs and rocks and other things. They're interesting, but I had my priorities. So I get down there and we start seeing the stacks. And then we go into the specimen room. And everyone there else was just there because they saw it on a TV show. I nearly pooped my pants. You walk in and there are four coelacanths in alcohol. There's a five-foot-long Komodo dragon preserved in alcohol. It's crystal clear. It looked like a dinosaur. Then they have an Architeuthis, which is the giant squid, in a 40-foot-long custom-made glass 
tank. And I'm sitting there like, what the hell, man? I'm seeing all this stuff. Like there are sharks and rays and skates and snakes and jars and jugs of preserve moles and mice and lizards and the people around me are like okay that's fine and i'm like what is all this and then we go over to this last specimen shelf and there's a bunch of jars with yellow caps on them and the guy says look closely at the labels and it says these were collected on the hms beagle by charles darwin and it's his signature on his specimen collections and these are the holotype specimens. They have yellow caps on the jars. A holotype is the key defined individual of that organism for scientific nomenclature. So these are the actual specimens that he collected were the first to be described and all others captured or studied will always be based on that specific organism in that jar. And I'm just like the hair on my arm standing up just talking about that. For me to see that was an absolute honor and i just stood there for a couple minutes reading them all taking pictures looking at them they also had a four foot long australian earthworm and i knew what all this stuff was but the people didn't so um, i think i surprised our tour guide a little bit more knowing what we were looking at as opposed to most people he sees so i left the museum and i walked back to the hotel but first i stopped at the pret Manger, which is the just walk up and take something, buy it, and eat it, and go. That was the go-to sort of breakfast and just quick meal if you needed to grab something without sitting down. So I got a sandwich, and then I walked over to Farlow's to check out the fly shop there. Nobody there was available to do a podcast, but I got to walk around and see a bunch of the gear, the difference in flies, how much simpler they are. You don't have streamer bros over there putting 50 ingredients and 10 articulations in with extra garnish, which... Their flies look like things fish eat, and they catch fish. But there's a different style of fishing there, which we learned about from Andy. I walked around there, and they told me to go grab a pint of Guinness at the Red Lion. So I went up there, and I had a cider first to quench my thirst. And then I had a Guinness, which I had to let warm up while I was drinking my cider, because their Guinness is exceptionally cold. And that pint of Guinness was exceptional. It was creamy. It had nice thick foam on it. It was pitch black. It was delicious. And then I headed back to the hotel, showered and cleaned up because I'd done about four miles of walking. And then we went off to the Anchor and Hope pub for traditional English fare. On Tuesday, I decided I was going to go to the Globe Theater. If I had honored my biology professors, I was going to go honor my AP English teacher. So I did the walk across the river, all through Parliament. I stopped at Westminster Abbey, which you had to pay to see inside. You know, I wanted to see Darwin and Newton, but I didn't want to spend like 80 U.S., and there's a lot of protests for Brexit going on. Went across the river, got to the Globe. It's pretty cool. It's right on the river. But I also wanted to see where they used to get drunk and wrestle bears. So I asked about that, and they said, yeah, the Bear Gardens is about two blocks to the right. And I went down there, and it's just an alleyway with a sign. It's all been built up before. But people used to get drunk, and either them or their dogs would wrestle bears while they were waiting for stuff to start at the Globe. And I walked back across the bridge. I decided I was going to walk to Twinings. And, of course, with New York City and now London, I want to go to historic pubs. So I found a pub, and I decided to walk towards it to go get a drink. Figure a beer in the afternoon would just quench me, and you can't find ice water anymore. So what else are you going to drink? So as I'm walking, I go up an alley to look for the old Cheshire Cheese Pub. And my nose 
takes me to this falafel shop called Pilpel, P-I-L-P-E-L. And it was awesome. So I got a falafel, hung out, cooled down after walking for three hours, and then started back up, found the pub. And it's an old bank dating from the last century or century before that, 1800s, turned into a pub. And the bartenders just don't want to talk to you. They pour and they walk away. So I sat down, had a pint of Guinness, read the newspaper. It's where I found out about a racing pigeon that was being sold for 1.2 million euros, which is fascinating. I always looked for the most interesting news headline of the day. After I left that pub, I went down the street and walked into Twinings, sampled a bunch of tea. I'm a tea drinker, not a coffee drinker. And I came home with three bags of different teas. And we just had the, the apple elderflower tea here over the weekend. It was amazing. And then I was walking some more and I figured, you know what? I'm getting tired and I'm thirsty. So I stopped into another pub, which was an old bank. This is really where I realized that bartenders want nothing to do with you there. They pour your drink and they walk away from you. And I noticed all the crazy gins. So I had some discussions with a bartender cleaning glasses who was sort of stuck there. And he ended up having to talk to me instead of ignoring me. So then we went back to the hotel, cleaned up. We went to Hoppers, which is a Sri Lankan restaurant. Now we are making Sri Lankan Hoppers at home, which is a rice flour and coconut milk-based crepe. And you make it in a pan. And you can find the recipe at lavenderandlavage.com. I finally bought Karen's book because I got tired of looking at all the recipes online. Wednesday, as you know, I stopped at Pret for a sandwich, got on the train. Forgot to mention a girl on the train ate an entire loaf of brioche bread. If you want to see the pictures, I can upload it. I'll blink out her face. So I watched her for a good 40 minutes eat an actual loaf of bread. And then return from Oxford, we go to the Market Hall Food Court by Victoria Station and get kebabs and fries, which were fantastic. And then we went back to the Red Line where we met up with a Bernie's Mountain Dog in the pub walking around that's allowed to order its own bags of crisps, specifically cheese and onion. And we had the greatest conversation of all time with the dog's owner. Now, the guy was either completely full of BS or the greatest story of all time. He was dressed exceptionally well, but his fingernails were filthy. And his stories were things you can't really make up if you're just a BS artist. you got to experience things. And he was telling us political, economical, crazy stories. But the math he came back to, and he was very inebriated, was always correct. And he said some things that... Most people wouldn't know, specifically when my wife had come back from the loo and sat down and was just hanging out and talking, and the man says, well, you know, my wife took all that money in the divorce. I mean, you're Russian, you know. And my wife had never said anything, and the dude picked out that she was Russian just from her sitting down, and I was dumbfounded the rest of the night. So, Dave, if you're out there listening, I want to find out if that was all true or not. It was one of the craziest nights of drinking in a pub. I thought we were on hidden cameras, honestly, that he was taking the piss and it was all a huge joke on us. But I've never seen a dog in a bar that can order its own chips. Thursday, I went to the Grant Museum of Zoology, which was uptown from London, a good hour and a half walk. So I slowly walked through Soho, stopping to look at different scotches. I found my neighbor's favorite, which is Royal Loch Nagar, but we just didn't have room in our luggage to bring a fifth back. And I asked them where their favorite pub was so I could get a pint on my way up to the museum. I was in no rush. And they sent me to the Toucan, which had about six or seven seats. And it was just a hole in the wall 
as best you could describe it. It was about the size of a dumpster carved into the street. And you just hop in and the bartender poured us drinks and walked off. But I ended up talking to a couple from, uh, it was Hungary, Hungary or Czech Republic or maybe Poland. I can't remember now. But I had my delicious, lovely pint and then went up to the Grant Museum of Zoology, which is free. And I walked around with the coolest things in there. It was a pickled thylacine or the Tasmanian tiger skin and a thylacine skeleton. I did have to correct them on one of their displays of fishes that was mislabeled. It's a good thing the wife wasn't there because she would have gotten pissed. She does not like when I correct people with their scientific things. It was labeled uh, some kind of catfish, and it was definitely some kind of a locid. Uh, it was not a catfish. So then I decided to walk back and I bumped into a restaurant that sold salt beef. And I just said, what is salt beef? And I walk in, they said, it's like your brisket, but it's steamed. And they cut me a slice and it was like the most tender brisket I've ever had. I said, all right, give me a sandwich. So I had salt beef on British rye with spicy mustard and pickles. And I just ate that while I walked. And then I decided I wasn't hungry anymore, but I still needed to try some food in Soho. So I went to Poppy's and got a meat pie and mushy peas and no ice water. The only thing I wanted really at that point was ice water. And I'm so full now. And I've been commenting to people all week about how weak the beer was. So I was sent to a spot near the Red Lion that had beer that was a little higher in ABV. So with my full belly, I walked down there and... I met a guy outside I had a drink with who looked exactly like Eric Clapton. I had to ask him his name. He's like, my name's Chris. I was like, dude, I thought you were at Clapton. He said, well, he's older. He's got more money. So I ended up having a nice drink there. You can't find a 7 or 8% IPA anywhere. It's all 4.2%. So I had that, and I figured, all right, I'm going to go have my last beer at the Red Line. It's now about 4 o'clock, and I've been walking since 9 in the morning. And I'm so full at this point, I could barely finish my Guinness. And I tried to, and everyone's outside. It was a nice day and just smoking and talking and there was no place to sit down. So I ended up standing, drinking my last English pint and ended up just sloshing back to the hotel through St. James Park. There's so much fluid in me. It was, it was gross. But then we went out to the Royal Air Force club for dinner and drinks and just look it up RAF in London they have their own pub in the basement so I had a fantastic dinner I sat next to a beyond brilliant woman who works with my wife from England and we just talked gardening and plants and animals all night it was a great time and then Friday morning wake up and I got an uber over to the fly show so um, I'll get to that in a moment but some of my notes from London first uh, there's no ice water anywhere I drink a lot of ice water all day long. I drink ice water. The beer's weak. Nothing really over 4.2% at a pub. Everyone drinks a lot there. Everyone smokes. The cigarette butts littering the streets and outside the pubs was absolutely disgusting. Crossing streets was difficult. You have to look right, left, right again. There were no soda fountains. There were no cups with straws. There were no takeout cups. You buy a drink to go and unscrew a cap or open a can. I did like the Coke there because it didn't have corn syrup. The weather was cloudy and cool and it was dry, much drier than it was here. And of course, we got a massive rainstorm while we were there, which shut down the shad fishing for a while. The dogs were extremely well behaved. The flavored gins are amazing. I ended up picking up 
two little bottles of gin at the liquor stores, and then you're going to find out about another gin from Mixer Fox Denton when I get to the show. People have more liberty with their hairstyles as professionals. You see more people with facial piercings and colored and just different hair than you'd ever find here. It's extremely less conservative. There were no buildings really in downtown London that were taller than four to five flights of stairs. They were all built before elevators. There were a lot of food options. My goals were to have Guinness and curry. And really the only Indian I ate was at Dishoom. Although Hoppers had some amazing Sri Lankan curries. Look up Dishoom if you can. Follow them on Instagram. Bartenders don't want to talk to you. And there are no TVs in the pubs I went to. The children sound very intelligent. And I did not go to any grocery stores to explore food options that I could probably take home. I did end up in Soho going to Italian market and getting some really good porcini mushroom bullion cubes. And they smelled better than the ones I can get at the Italian store here down by Richie. So Friday, I Uber there and I see a kebab, doner kebab joint about two blocks. So I decide I'm going to eat there on my way out. So I get there. I have a great show. You walk in and it's this giant lit atrium building with shooting sports on the top level and fly fishing on the downstairs. You walk around all these very expensive upland bird shooting stuff and I get free saffron from the Spanish shooters and I'm eating chorizo and wine. And then I meet Mr. Fox Denton and I make my way downstairs. And the first thing I notice is that Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The booths are prefabricated. So you have this little cubby that's pre-built with a roof and three walls, and you set up inside of there. The casting pond was lined with plants and wooden boards and was elevated where you could cast, and there were chairs surrounding it. So you could sit down and listen to everybody talking. I listened to Charles Jardine, who I have a book from, and we may or may not hear his casting talk depending on audio quality from Jason. Everyone was dressed extremely nice, tapered clothes, shirts tucked in, starch stuff, the antithesis of an American fly fishing show where everyone looks like they sleep under bridges and are just dirty. I mean, it, you've seen that at fly fishing shows in America. Everyone looks homeless compared to the London show where it's blazers and pants with your tucked into your boots and everyone is got their hair done and they're clean shaven and it was a complete dichotomy antipode of an american fly fishing show nobody was walking around with their yeti cups and there were no streamer bros lurking around it wasn't all baseball hats old shirts ratty work pants flip-flops and dirty shoes it it was an eye-opening experience for me there was a lot of jungle cock there, a lot of flies tied for small, clear water. Vaynard had their own fly tires row. I was very impressed with the gourmet flies, G-O-U-R-M-E-T. Uh, not much social media for them, but you'll hear about them. I think Amy has some of the most colorful flies there. I think that she should market to Great Lake Steelhead anglers. Please follow her on Instagram. She's been catching blue rainbow trout. 
and some of her flies would absolutely tear it up over here in the States. The Romanians had a hat made of amadou for me to wear, and the Slovenians, which were the – the Slovenian booth made the show for me. I had fun talking to everybody, but it wasn't until I got to their booth, and I'm interviewing Gregor, and he won't tell me his flies. I've never seen beetle patterns like this. I asked what the cuisine is back home, and before you know it, you hear <coughs> bottle of white, bottle of red, beer comes out, cheese, and – and homemade charcuterie and homemade bread. And it was the most fun 15 minutes I had at that show. And it made me really happy for my walk back to the kebab joint. And then a three mile walk back to the hotel where we went out for a quick bite to eat. And then we saw Hamilton. We finished the show at Hamilton. My wife is a huge Hamilton fan. We were in the second row. We were getting spit on by the actor second row center my wife knew every lyric and it was absolutely brilliant if you don't know about hamilton just go listen to all the songs on youtube my wife knew them all so for the show we're gonna start off with fox denton gin then we're gonna go to icelandic salmon flies we're gonna learn about river d hair wing flies gourmet flies from france and their modern techniques paul monahan who i follow on Instagram, but didn't put one and two together, and I was completely embarrassed afterwards. He was tying predatory streamers. Karen, an American, tying classic salmon flies. Phil, tying buzzers, and he has inspired me now to tie buzzers. Amy, with her brilliantly colorful flies and her amazingly colorful fly tying area. Line recycling. We'll listen to Charles talking about casting. Anna, with fishing from Romania. And then we're going to finish with Gregor and his crew from Slovenia. I only know a little bit about Slovenian fly fishing from the Phil Monahan article a couple years ago and his blog post on the Orvis site. We're going to get a little education about Slovenia. And they had some really cool, really cool stuff. So this is London and the London Fly Fishing Fair. I hope you enjoy this. Next up is going to be Pappy Van Winkle with Dan Davala. Let's talk about gin. So what do we have here? Hi, my name's Nick Radcliffe, and I'm um, the owner of Fox Denton Estate Company, which is a small gin maker in the UK. The company was founded in 1935 by my grandfather to protect land that he owned. I turned it into a gin business. We primarily supply the shooting and hunting and fishing industry because in this country, it's a very social activity and people tend to stop midway through the day and have a small shot of slow gin or damson gin. On the stand here, you can see um, fairly amazing photos from 1911, which show, I think, the only sturgeon caught on a rod and line. I have to say it was foul hooked by my grandfather. Sturgeon never appear here. They are technically, when they appear, the property of the king so or the queen. So when he caught it, he presented it to George V, who returned it and suggested he put it in his museum. It was stuffed, and eventually my grandfather gave it to the local county museum. So if you go to the Dorchester County Museum, you can see this 203-pound, nine-foot-long sturgeon. I think the only time it's been caught in a rod and line in the UK. Wow. That thing is huge. 
it is huge, isn't it? Shall I tell you how he, how he first tried to deal with it? When it first appeared, they had no fishing tackle. It was next to a farm which he owned. And he called the farmer, got his shotgun, and tried to give it two barrels of number five shot. It had no effect whatsoever. Fish disappeared. Two months later, it appeared in another pool in the same river. That's when he, he could send for his um, uh, big salmon. He said, I sent for my biggest rod and the largest salmon flies I could um, find. And he rigged it up and eventually, by casting over it, managed to foul hook it. And it took an hour and 40 minutes to bring it in. And there were two of them. And it's on top of a car. It is. That car is the family... Daimler. I think they were fairly popular big cars in those days and you can see it's the length of the whole roof. In fact, if you want to see something really amazing he was very pompous, my grandfather. There's the family crest painted on the door. Very cool. <laughs> so tell me about slowberries. It's not something we have. No, it isn't because they are the fruit of the blackthorn tree. Now, the blackthorn tree is a, a tree you don't have in North America it's very popular in this country because it's very spiny and it makes a great hedgerow for stopping cattle or stock moving from one field to another. And in the 18th century, when we started the process of enclosing common land, it was often planted as part of a hedgerow. It grows and produces a very small black bitter fruit called a slowberry. They're almost impossible to eat. They're full of tannin. But if you put them in gin and add sugar, shake it every day for a week, every week for a month, after three months, the flavour and colour in the slow goes into the gin and the sugar makes it palatable and you end up with what is probably the most iconic um, drink for shooting or hunting in the UK. But seriously, every single driven shoot you ever go on, every rough shoot, someone somewhere We'll have a bottle of either slow gin, damson gin. In fact, I've been a judge. The Field magazine, which is our sort of uh, stream and field that you have in America, the Field magazine here runs a competition every year for the best homemade. And I've been the judge along with the editor. And you get all sorts. You get every berry, every fruit is tried. Because it's very easy. You just get a big kilner jar, put the fruit in, put your spirit, whether it's gin or vodka, whiskey, lock the lid, shake it, add some sugar, shake it, leave it. It takes about three to six months, and at the end of it, you have a homemade liqueur. It's really, really popular in this country. I would say, if you walk up and down here and ask people on various stands, do you make your own slow gin, I bet 70% will say, I have done. They don't always, because they tend to buy mine, but... Nearly fun. everybody has has done it. Fantastic. All right. Well, have a good show and thanks for your time. Mm, thank you very much. So you are Schooly? Yes, I'm Schooly Christian from Iceland. I'm uh, salmon fly tire and uh, guide. And, and tell uh, me about the flies you tied here. You said they're hair wing? They're hair wing and feather wings. And they're made for Iceland in clear water, so most of them are very small. And uh, down to number 18 or 20 treble hooks in clear what water. Is, what is the purpose of the treble hook? Just to stick them better? They hold better and they swim very well in water. Right. Very steady. There's, if you have a double hook, he will go on the sides. Single hooks, so sometimes treble hook swims very 
strict, straight in the water. Particular feathers or hair you're using to tie these? I use a lot of uh, Icelandic horsehair. We call it marketing on Arctic runner, which is very good for small flies. And then uh, a little bit of uh, fox. And then feather wings, I'm using uh, all kinds of feather from the ducks and the goose that I hunt myself up to uh, speckled bastard and feathers were hard to get. And many of my flies are a mixture of old and new style. And uh, the main reason for the small summer flies are the clear waters and small rivers. You don't disturb the pools if you are fishing on small flies. If you put a big tube in it, don't spoil the, it will spoil the fishing. Right. How's the show going so far? Good so far. We just, we just started, but right. okay. Fantastic. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you. So the River D. where's the River D, and tell me about it. Well, the River Dee is in Aberdeenshire in the northeast of Scotland. Uh, it's one of the big four salmon rivers in Scotland. 90 miles of superb fly fishing from the Cairngorm Mountains all the way to Aberdeen. And what are the seasons and what do you guys do to catch fish up there? How would it be different than other rivers? Well, the season starts early. We're starting 1st of February, so uh, we call that spring season. But it's, you can imagine it's actually very cold then, cold and snowy. And at that time of the year, we uh, chase after the fish. We use sunken lines and uh, weighted tube flies. Fish. Yeah, early season, the weather can be challenging. You know, we've got snow, wind and rain. In fact, when the opening day of the season, we couldn't fish because the river was full of uh, snow and ice. Uh, but that's part of the charm of uh, fishing for spring salmon is uh, combating the elements. So if this is water that you normally get to fish, do you have bucket list destinations you want to fish? I mean, you're on probably one of the most famous rivers in the world. Bucket list for me? Oh my goodness, now that's a good question. Yeah, I mean, places like the Alta, that would be, that would be definitely one of mine. I'd love to come and fish in the States as well, you know, there's a lot of Atlantic salmon on the on the East Coast as well, so yeah, I'd love to try that, definitely on the bucket list there. What flies do you guys tie up there? Traditional, classic, or sort of new, modern? Well, these da- these days, most, most salmon flies are, are hair-wing salmon flies of some type. Uh, the, the old classic flies are still in use, some people still fish them, but generally speaking, it would be hair-wing tubes, so... Early season flies would be the willy gun, which is a really famous Scottish pattern, uh, and a black and yellow. And these are these are bucktail tubes, they're metal tubes with bucktail just tied all around it. Uh, and that's the main ones. And then the other flies that we fish early season is something called the D monkey, which is a black and yellow fly with, with a with a long black wing. And there's there's probably our three main uh, early season flies. But once we pass uh, February and March and into April, the the river starts to warm up, uh, the water clears, and we have a We've got a shallow river, so we've got shallow, clear, crystal clear water, and we use some of these types of flies that you can see here, just small black and silver, black silver with a touch of blue. These are real typical D colours for for uh, clear water in the in the late spring and summer months. Tell me about some of these materials you've got laid out here. There's uh, there's some kind of animal's face. Yeah, there's uh, we've, got, we've got a bit of everything here. That, that's actually fox mask you're seeing there. Um, the other stuff we've got, there's goat hair. Pony hair. This is a a cock hackle, just the uh, hen, and this is a hen hackle. It's slightly, slightly different structure. And we've got various uh, bits of flash material on that, as you can see as well. Some we just put some of these in just to give the fly a little glint. Not too much, but just a little glint. What is this tube apparatus vice you're using? I've never seen one of these. Uh, uh, this is a vision fly tying vice, and this particular attachment on it here, uh, the needle is, is for uh, tying tube flies. So I'll just if I can see what I'm doing. Do you see that 
the tube slides on, right. slides onto the vice there like that, and you, and you just tie away like that. And this this style of fly, we fish it, we slide it up our leader, then we tie a um, tie hook onto the knot, and that just butts up against the hook. It's just a tube fly. Uh, the other types are, are more orthodox dressed flies you'd be familiar with. Fantastic. All right. Anything else we should know about the D? Come and see us. The River Dee's uh, fishing is available to everybody. Check out www.fishd.co.uk. Gives you all the latest availability, catches, river levels, where to stay, how to get there. Everything you need to know for a trip to D-side. Fantastic. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure. My name is Stan. I'm from France. And I specialize in the production of transition fishing flies with a company called Gourmet Flies. So I aim to do only translucent flies because they are more catchy. In France, we have very educated fish and we fish for crystal clear waters. So we had to adapt and we had to push the realism above classic flies. That's why we designed translucent fishing flies. So I mainly work with glass beds and, uh, and UV varnish. So it's like modern technical tying. I, I use uh, old and new materials to create more realistic flies. That's the point. And you said they're a hybrid between a streamer and a nymph? Yeah. So this is the streamer of the collection because the collection is made of small mayflies, caddis flies and streamers. And this small streamer is a mix of rabbit for the tail and glass beds for the body. And it made a it's making a mix of translucent and um, rabbit hair. It's like a small minnow. Small minnows are translucent-like, so it's really catchy. And I fish them on on the dead drift, on a dead drift, like a small dead fish, but like a nymph. So when the trout see this larva streamer, it's like a nymph, a small dead fish, a damsel. You don't know what it. It's incitative, you know. It's some very unique looking flies. Thank you. So well, this little minnow one right here I picked up. Tell me yeah. about that one. So this one is the sculpin. So same concept as the other streamers, but they have three colors. So the brown one will be a small sculpin. The classic one you found in fresh rivers. The gray one will be like a bleak, more in lakes. And the green one, of course, will be like the classic minnow. So you have to fish according to the place. Like in rivers, it will be like sculpin and minnow, and more in lakes, like a white fish, the, the gray one. And what is the cure you're using to put on them? So to be honest with you, the cure has no uh, point for me. I use Solares, but all of them are good, because what's important is to use the good UV light to have a good polymerization. You have the Solares rechargeable? I used it, but uh, I use super strong UV light to polymerize all kind of uh, resin, of all kind of cure. Because I do it in a professional way. So every day I have to, to polymerize loads of flies with a big uh, professional UV light. Okay. What are some of the rivers you're fishing in France? So I live in the northeast of France, and I'm lucky because we have the most crystal clear waters in France, and we do a lot of sight nymphing. So it's rivers like the Loup, the Ain River, the Moselle Rivers. All of them are really clear, calcareous, like chalk streams. Mm -hmm. And you can spot a lot of big grainings and trout. Hence, the translucent flies, we need realistic flies there. 
what is the little one you're tying now? So that's, that's a tiny little bead. Oh yeah, that's a tiny one. And um, it comes from uh, a New Zealand ID because some anglers were asking me, I need tiny flies, uh, but with strong hooks and a big ring on the front for, for strong tippets, you okay. know? Yeah. So I designed what I call the anorexic perdigon because you see the hook is oversized and the mayfly is tiny. Then you can hook big trouts and use big, big tippets on it. So that's the concept. It's anorexic. A small, small fly on a strong hook. That's a concept. Very clever fly tying. Thank you. Thank Where you. can we find you online? You said at uh, Gourmet Flies? So the company is called Gourmet Flies because we are gourmet and fish are gourmet. It's easy, www.gourmetflies.com. And uh, it's made in France and shipped worldwide. Merci. No problem. All right, so uh, Paul Monahan. Hi, how you doing? Good. So tell us about what you're tying right now. Um, so I'm tying a, a bulkhead, one of Popovic's patterns, but we're sort of modernizing it with a dragon tail. So um, the dragon tails are made by a quite a famous Italian fly fisher, and um, they're really taken off in the UK. Is it vinyl? What are they made out of? It's a good question. I don't think anybody really knows. I think it's some sort of lurex or spandex material. But they're quite robust to pike's teeth, because that's what I probably tie, is pike, pike flies. So, um, yeah, it's a very, very good pattern for... You need to create a bit of movement and a lot of disturbance in the water for pike, especially in coloured water. Do you have colour preference to fish in dirtier water? Yeah, I tend to go for the, uh, the chartreuse and orange colours, or black flies for dirty water when it's when it's clear more natural patterns in sort of roach colors or perch colors so you know the olives the, the whites and silvers and grays they tend to work better and a little bit less flash as well what are your rat flies made out of uh, that's arctic fox arctic arctic or blue fox uh, they're articulated patterns with deer hair heads so they take a bit of time you know so the, the articulation is based off the the Blaine Chocolate Game Changer. I'm sure you've heard of Blaine. Yep. P- pretty well known in America. I, I and Blaine. Oh, yeah. yeah. T- ties, are, ties are cracking. Tied Game Changers. And, you know, they, they're t- starting to take off in the UK as well. Well, they take they take forever to tie. But it's all fun, isn't it? You know? Do you have a preference for hooks for these big toothy critters? Yes. I tend to use A-Rex hooks. Uh, A-Rex Trap Predators 4-0s. And, and larger sizes. Uh, I like my hooks with a, a heavy wire gauge, uh, just to make sure that you know they're strong enough. You, you never know what you're going to hook into. You know, it could be that big mama. And what is the monofilament that you're tying on right now? Yeah. So for my tail attachments, I don't tend to use wire because I don't use stinger hooks. Uh, so I use 60 pound uh, monofilament. Doesn't matter what brand, as long as it's stiff and holds that tail away from the hook. That's the main thing. And you know, they're they're pretty tooth resisting as well. As I said, there's no stingers on the back of these, so we're safe to use them. Yeah. Is there a legality issue here with articulated and having more than one hook? No, no, not at all, no. Uh, a lot of the fly ties, the tie uh, pike flies, tend to stick to single hooks, maybe articulated with two hooks. Uh, we don't don't use trebles uh, like, the, like the lure guys do on their lures, on the soft plastics or whatever. What are you using to wrap that with? Uh, this is GSP 100. Oh, you're getting close to the end of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I always, I'm lazy. I have a big spool of it, which I, I buy in bulk, so I get through it yeah, right. pretty quickly. 
Do you have social media where people can look at your flies? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got a YouTube channel. Uh, YouTube is just, if you just search Paul Monaghan in YouTube, and you'll get plenty of tutorials on bike flies and Xander flies and big trout streamers as well. Tell me about a Xander. What is, what's a Xander? It's like, it's like your walleye. Okay. Very similar fish. Uh, they're found in uh, quite a few of the rivers in the UK and also the big reservoirs in the, mid- in the Midlands. Typically a, a deep water fish, but we, we fish for them on sunk lines, uh, you know, four, four to six inch flies. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're quite a challenge to catch, but they're good fun. Yeah. All right, Paul, well, thank you for telling us about your time today. Hey, no worries. Thanks, thanks, thanks for the, the conversation. All right, Linda, tell me about the flies you're tying. The flies that I'm tying are classic Atlantic, Atlantic salmon flies for the most part. They're either classic traditional patterns from the 17 and 1800s, or they're more modern tires, but they're all that certain style that we look at as classics. And today I'm working on one called the uh, the Major, and it's a fly by Tollfree, so it's a Norwegian fly. What are the materials going into this one? It has a dubbed body, so it's got some seals fur in the body, four different colors, some tinsels, guinea, and bustard for the throats, and then it has a snipe feather. That's the the unique thing about the major fly. How long does it take to tie one of these? It's probably four or five hours. Yeah, so it's one to two flies today. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little longer than a trout fly. Yeah. How did you go about coming to the show here on the other side of the world from you? Uh, we had the Atlantic Salmon Fly International in Seattle. It's a show that our club put on, and we invited a lot of the international salmon tires. And so I've gotten to know some of them and, and then just been invited, and it seems like one thing leads to another. And you meet so many great people. Yeah. Yeah. How many years have you been here? Uh, this is my second at the London Fly Fair. Are you seeing anything else while you're in London? Uh, I'll spend a few days sightseeing. I, that's what I do every time I come over. So I've, I'm going to go over to Greenwich later. Fantastic. Yeah. Where can people purchase these or see your fly tie? I'm on Facebook so they can catch me there. And I'm at various shows in the U.S. or some of them in the U.K., Ireland, Scotland. I'll be at the German show, too. Did you start off tying these, or did this progress into you tying, like, woolly buggers, or, like everyone else started with, and then progressed into the classic patterns? I didn't start with anything smaller. I was always invited by my husband to tie classic salmon flies and come to the meetings in our club, and I just never got involved in it until I'd been to a couple shows. So I started right away with these you know, and, and struggled for a whole year and did things over and over. And it, it got to be frustrating. You could come home and he'd say, oh, that doesn't look so hot. Let's take it off after dinner and, and start all over. So, you know, I think just having somebody there to, to look and tell you that it's right or wrong, you know, really helps speed it up. So I've been tying about four, four and a half years. Wow. Yeah. These are spectacularly amazing. Thank you. Is there so these are all designed by other people, the original patterns. Mm-hmm. Are there color motifs in them or, or are they just sort of they just came up with it as they went and now it's a standard that's named after them? There are certain flies have certain colors. 
and certain people who designed them have used certain colors for the rivers that they fished them on originally. And then others, like the more artistic ones, like the Indian Summer by Paul Schmuckler, those are more freestyle in their color. Fantastic. All right, well, thank you so much. Thank you. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com so, Amy, your station is very colorful. Do you want to talk about your setup and what you're tying? Yeah, very colorful, as always. Pink, purple. I think when you're a female in the industry, you have to bring all the color to it. So I've got my purple regal, my pink scissors, and ready to tie some flies. So all of your flies seem to be very colorful except your stone fly. Do you not tie a pink one? Well, I'm getting on to pink later on, but I might, I might give a pink stone fly a go, really. It's, yeah, it's not a bad idea. Where's home for you? Um, Lancashire, so England, Lancashire. Um, it's about four hours from here, so it's quite nice. We've got some nice rivers, some nice still waters. It's pretty cool. All right. And do you do all nymphs, or there's a couple dries in there? Yeah. Do you have a preference to what you tie? Um, I'll tie pretty much most things, whatever sort of working for me at the time. Um, what I've brought with me today is just a very small selection. I've got fly boxes full of hundreds and hundreds of flies and it's sometimes you just have to be a little bit selective of what you bring with you so I've just got a little range really some emergers some dries nymphs some shrimps like some little squirmy what are those Uh, so you got the little squirmy built in with something around it yeah so it's a case caddis but with a squirmy instead never seen that before (laughs) no it's uh I think it's something I came across on YouTube, really. Someone had done it with um, Chartreuse Chenille, and I thought, well, why can't we whack a bit of squirmy worm in there? River trout love a bit of squirmy. And I imagine these are very easy to see from far away. Oh, yes. (laughs) What is the cider on those dries made from? The The parachute. Oh, the parachute. Um, So it's from polypropylene yarn that particular pink color is from belgium <laughs> so i have to i know i have a friend out there and he sends me it across every now and then so it's just super cool. phil's got his connection for tails and you've got your connection for parachutes yep <laughs> right. is there social media where we can look at your flies um, yeah really well you can find me on facebook instagram twitter amy kitchen fa- amy kitchen fishing um yeah you'll find me on there and amy is spelled a-m-i a-i-m-w-e yeah not the way we would spell it, but it makes a difference. No, it is French. I'm not that I'm French, but it's a French spelling. So. Fantastic. All right. Well, thanks so much. Thanks. Do that. So. All right. Are you Viv? I am. Yeah. All right, Viv, tell me about your project. Um, we are the Anglers National Lime Recycling Scheme, which we launched over here in the UK in March 2018. Um, what we do, we collect uh, fishing lines, so monofilament, uh, backing and braid and also now fly lines um, we've got about 250 shops around the UK that have signed up so they have a recycling bin in store um, so any angler can go into the shop take in their old fishing line fly lines that sort of stuff 
uh, drop it in the bin, then it's sent back to us and we get it recycled. Uh, we're working with a UK recycler um, that's using the fly lines to make uh, plastic board um, out of that. The monofilament's going off to a company in Denmark, um, which they're turning things uh, like wetsuits and traffic cones, skateboards, wow. uh, all that sort of stuff. And hopefully, once we get the volume, uh, we've collected about 2 million metres right, in the last year uh, of, of, of monofilament. Um, we're going to start looking at creating an angling product. So whether it's sunglass frames, could be maggot boxes for anglers or um, disgorges to unhook fish with, something like that. So ultimately, we want the fishing line to end up being another angling product um, that can be, again, recycled at the end of its life. So, um, so we're... We're totally volunteer-led. Right? We're, we're not a business. Right? We're, we're doing it all, all as volunteers. We were funded from donations um, from sponsors. So Orvis, who we're here, we're here with today, uh, they're supporting the scheme. We've got a lot of the course fishing, like the carp fishing world as well. They're donating a few hundred pounds a year to help us run the scheme, donating tackle prizes for raffles, uh, things like that. So it's, it's a non-profit organisation. will always be like that. Um, it's just hopefully putting angling in a good light, really, in terms of uh, doing the right thing environmentally because we love where we go fishing so it's our role partly to look after like the environment where we we spend so much of our time chasing our dreams really where can people in the states donate you expanded yet um no i think there's there's already some some form of recycling in the states in terms of i think berkeley do a program over there i'm not too sure i think this mainly they have bins on the jetties and the piers when you come in from from your days fishing with the boat um it's something we're looking at expanding into Europe uh, we're off to Brussels uh, in June to the big trade show there um, and hopefully we're going to expand into Europe and we're all, but we're also chatting with Pure Fishing um, in the UK uh, as well so hopefully who knows where this could be in a year two years time we might we might expand it right across the globe really it would be fantastic um, which like we're only two volunteers run it at the moment so we'll, we'll probably need to go full time and do something there with it but it's 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 something it's a scheme that pretty much any angler no matter whether you fish for carp for bass for trout for salmon we can all agree on that we need to recycle what we use so it's probably the first thing or first scheme that i know of in angling especially in the uk that every angler could agree on um, we don't we don't agree as anglers in terms of carp anglers never agree with trout anglers we're not interested in the same things but something like this now that we can do fly lines and everything i think we've probably got a, a scheme that everyone can get behind and it's it's the right thing to do you can't argue against recycling or and certainly not leaving redundant fishing line like in the environment with wildlife and stuff like that because the general public will how they perceive anglers can change very quickly if we start having wildlife getting caught up in in fishing line and stuff like that that will get more press than all the good we do as anglers in terms of looking after the rivers and the habitat and stuff like that uh, one swan or a bit of or a wildfowl caught up in a bit of fishing line will get more press than we would ever do right there so i think we've got to be very proactive as a sport uh, in terms of uh, portraying angling as people that really care and look after the environment that we use uh, um, as much as we're working with um, a group down in the southwest of england now um, and they they do beach clean so they collect plastics of 
So they're now sending us their redundant, their old plastics they pick up off the beach. So we're helping groups outside of angling to get rid of their plastics that are found on the beach, right? so that that people, like swimmers or people going to the beach for a holiday, they're leaving plastics there. We're helping to clean that up as well. So we're going beyond angling, which I think is only good for us as a sport and our image, really. So, it's, um, yeah, it's exciting times, very exciting times. Viv, where can we find you online? Uh, we've got a website. It's, uh, it's anglers-nlrs, so National Line Recycling Scheme.co.uk. Um, if you go onto the website, there's loads of information about what we do here in the UK. Um, but also... Um, We've got shops signing up across Europe now, and we're welcome, we welcome emails from anywhere in the world, really. If we can roll the scheme out um, across many countries, then as anglers across the world, we can make a difference. So visit the website, drop us an email, and we'll, we can certainly work on things from there. So. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Thanks Pleasure. Thanks, Rob. Oh, cheers. London. There's the thing. Who would have thought? I'm fishing in London. Um, right, now I'm going to do the first... The first thing I'm going to do is going to scare the living daylights out of how. Because I'm going to do this because I will. Now, he, he's going to get really worried. And you can check out that I haven't got any holes in my, my socks here. And security's lurking. But there is a reason for doing this because I want to dance about a bit. Now... The idea of this particular little demonstration, and Hal's having a wonderful time with this automatic fly reel, and I do actually need that rod in a bit, but it's where we came from, or where I came from as a fly fisher. And it's really important to see and chart the changes of how we mould into the styles and the materials that we use today, and how that they got to where they did, and why they got to where they have done. And who's to say where they're going to go in the future? Now, all of us are aware that we're using modern technology. We're using actually solid um, carbon um, that has been actually created from the rocket race, the rocket industry. And that one or two of you will have walked around here and there would have been the odd artisan rod maker. And life was very, very different when I grew up. Some would argue I've never grown up. But... When I started fly fishing at the tender age of about four or five, we were using these sort of things here. Wood. Not just any wood. Bamboo. Split cane. That was hand-planed into sections, resin together, bound together, set, and planed into an action that the actual rod builder wanted me to use. Now, the height of that was arguably the CC de France when I grew up. I always lusted after a CC de France, and this is a facsimile. And does it still cast today? Well, I put on it, you won't be able to see this, a silk fly line. And again, that was de rigueur when I grew up, a silk fly line. They were plaited, brought together, needed us to invest care and attention into the material. And this is a modern one, it's a phoenix a phoenix silk fly line and the action that one had was very much and this is really where I want to explore for the next 20 minutes or so the actions in which we adopt to meet the needs of the materials that we use so I was taught by my father 
with a rod not dissimilar to this, that you had the rod low and you imagined that you had a ball of mud on the end of the rod tip. And that ball of mud needed to be flicked off on the vertical above me there. To make matters even worse, my father got me to have a book under the arm because he'd read somewhere that this was the way to go. You had to keep the elbow in and you had to imagine that ball. Now this is a, a four or five year old kid trying to compute all this and it's tricky, I've got to tell you. Oh, he's done it, oh bless you. Don't press the hand. No, I, that, that should be a metaphor for my life actually. Do not press the hand. Anyway, so. Here I am, book under my arm, ball of mud, imaginary, on the end of the rod tip, and I'm, I'm going, right, I've got to flick it off behind me. Now, my father hasn't told me what to do after that, so we're just dealing with one thing at a time. There. Now what, Dad? Ah, right, well, now you're still on there, you flick it forward. Right, okay, like, no, not quite like that. Now, so here we are. So I developed an early style, and stop me if some of you haven't seen this kind of style before, of elbow here, in, clutched in here, and you end up with a sort of a lilt, like here, and you're trying to flick this ball of mud, I'm repeatedly doing it. No wonder I didn't catch any bloody trout to start with. They were all, you know, I was fishing in Kent, they were all in Essex. So, I suddenly thought, well, it's got to, it's got to be easier than that. Then I realized that that line, with that rod started to do stuff once it went through the air. So I went out in the garden, I practiced, and I thought, right, okay, so I know it's got to climb to the vertical, and I know if I push it out like that, it can work. So I need to flow behind me, I need to push it out with that rod tip. Great, it's working. Now, the big change came for me with a transformation, transformation of this material into the next one I'm using. But even when I go to the next material, that old tagline of it's got an action like cane persisted. Now I don't know, and I don't suppose there's anyone in this room that could actually define or tell me what the action of cane is supposed to be. Because out in Europe, there was a wonderful man called Hans Gebetsreuser coming up. He was a, a river keeper on the, on the river Traun and used to look after the crown heads of Europe and all the rest of it. And he came up with a style, Wismit came with short rods made by Brunner in Germany, Austria, Germany, thereabouts, that came through the air like that. And he got the whole of the fly line, and he used to have to, you have to dress these fly lines, which means anoint them with floating at the end of the uh, a period. They, your clients were having lunch over there, you'd go out, you'd have to redress the fly lines. And then he ended up going, well, if I do that and that, that line's going to go out so I can go out and redress it. What he didn't know was he started to craft a thing called the oval style, or the Germanic style. I'm going to move this behind me. That wire is getting on my nerves, so I'm just going to change across here. You, your name is? I'm Smaranda. And you're from Romania. I'm from Romania. So yeah. first off, let's talk about the amadou you have here. There's a hat made out of amadou. Yeah. Usually. I've never seen that before. Yeah, it's, it's a special hat made by our uh, local traditional uh, craftsmen there uh, who go three times a year and pick all the horseshoe fungus they find and then uh, produce it uh, further in their own way. <laughs> Are people kind of 
hesitant to show others where the access is from? Like, no. do, are you very guarding your, your hunting grounds? Uh, no, no, no. They are, they are walking through forests, and actually, they 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 need to find old forests, you know. And in Romania, thank God, we still have virgin forests uh, with the old trees. And uh, you can find them the most of the the best ex- you know the, the most of the the um, uh, horseshoe fungus uh, exemplars uh, on on old birch trees. Birch so, trees. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, what would you like people around the world to know about fly fishing in Romania? Uh, well, if they are nature lovers, if they like chasing a legend, if they like uh, to to be on an adventure. Uh, then Romania is the best destination for them. Uh, you know, fishing there, it's uh, returning back to nature, actually. Uh, if you go for trophies, okay, you can go for also for trophies, but um, in the whole Carpathians, it's uh, such a beautiful nature and small stream fishing uh, in, in remote places and just being by yourself and, again, with nature. Uh, that's that's perfect. And if you'd like to, to combine it with bear watching or just with trekking or... A little bit of a cultural sightseeing. Romania offers it all, you know. Are there specific flies that are local to Romania that others wouldn't know about? Uh, not that I've known. No, no, no. We are not that traditional in fly fishing as a country. Um, it's still um, pretty young as a sport. Uh, but um, the, the, the locals uh, used to um, uh, fly with um, wet flies. Um, don't ask me the name of it, uh, but wet flies it, uh, was was the traditional way of fly fishing there. And uh, since a few years now, uh, they're uh, more specialized in uh, dry fly fishing because there, you know of the, the conditions. Is there a season to fishing? Yes, of course. Um, if you go in the mountains, then you have to search for the trout season in, in Romania, and it is um, uh, starting with May until the middle of September. And when one goes to Romania, is there a certain cuisine we should be looking for? Is there oh. a famous food? Ah, the traditional food is always uh, welcome. Uh, we have um, rolled cabbage, uh, dumplings, uh, everything actually that also Europe has, uh, but uh, with our own recipes. So just come and grab one <laughs> and uh, let yourself, um, yeah, uh, not only inspired, but um, how do you call it? Um, just, um, yeah, just let yourself serve and uh, enjoy the time there. It's, um, it's, it's a perfect destination also regarding meals, I think. You know, uh, we eat good. Now, I've been in, in a lot of places all over, maybe in the U.S. not, but uh, the Romanian cuisine, it's, it's gorgeous. You eat good, you know, you eat really good. Fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Thank you so thank much you. for your time. Yeah, thank you. Where are you from, Robovich? Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. Yeah, we have a very famous Slovenian at the, the White House. hunter? Just fish. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so, Gregor, tell me, you are from... Slovenia. And you're at the fly fishing show, and you've got some pretty unique flies here. Well, that's something, yeah. A little bit also unique things. Tell me about the balsa wood fly. The cher- cherry? Uh, yeah, like a cherry uh, pattern for uh, for for bass or for a chub. We use it in Europe for a chub fishing. And you have a secret beetle pattern you won't tell me about. Yeah, well, you can't you can't know everything exactly. you want. So, what is fishing like in Slovenia? What species of trout? Uh, we fish for a marble trout. That's quite a unique thing in Europe. Uh, we have, we fish for brownie. 
railing uh, and rainbows, of course. Uh, most of it is like uh, side fishing, nymphing or, uh, or dry fly fishing, uh, alpine creeks, crystal clear, have a couple of chuck streams, that's it. Okay. And you're mostly imitating mayflies, stoneflies? Uh, mayflies, stoneflies, caddises, gamerous shrimps, and also some this uh, artificial, uh, how would I say it? Uh, yeah, you know, trouts like, especially rainbows, like some shiny, sparkling things. Mm-hmm. Did you tie all of these? Let me say it like 80% of that. Wow. Yeah, something like that. Do you have a favorite material to tie with? Yeah, cool de Canard, CDC. And uh, hair's ear dubbing, that's my... Because in Slovenia we have uh, like quite huge hatch of caddies and then it's just about sky's the limit of colors and uh, sizes of the flies. So if a listener wants to come and fish with you, how could they get a hold of you? Uh, they can find us on our uh, website, email, and that's it, you know. Okay. And if we're going to Slovenia, what's the first thing we should eat and drink? Uh, what are you famous for? The food. Food. What is Slovenia famous for? Yeah. Nice uh, who, who, people. Uh, food. Potica, potica, krimšnita. We cannot translate because anywhere Green in cakes. the world you cannot find similar stuff. But it's sweet. Potica we eat generally on holidays, you know. Sweet uh, cake, uh, walnut cake. No, but it's not like a cake. It's no, it's like a dough, and then we put the walnut, uh, walnuts, uh, and wines, sugar. I see you guys are starting off early here today. Well, it's not so early anymore. Yeah. It's like two, almost 2 p.m. Yeah, it's late. <laughs> we you love people, you, we you love to beer? hang out, we are very communicative. Are you for beer? Are you for beer? Would you like you? some beer? Oh, beer? I'll try some. Oh, Slovenian. Yeah, just a little bit. I got a... I gotta walk three miles now. So what else? Tell me more about. Uh, just give me a second. Yeah. I have. To... Sorry. Uh, you yeah. If you like a glass of wine, you can also get a glass right. of wine. All right. I guess I'm gonna start uh, drinking now. We have fantastic uh, Slovenian wines also here. So uh, uh, white, white or uh, the whole thing. Oh my gosh. Don't be pussy. Oh my god. Or you maybe can taste uh, a glass of wine. Don't, don't glass of the, cuisine cuisine today. the cheese? Yes, it's homemade. Uh, he is producer. Uh, our farm in Salami. Uh, that's such a region. Uh, oh, I'm a little piece of cheese. Uh, would you like uh, a glass of red wine maybe? Or white sure. Wine? I need you try, try some bread. Red. Oh, now you're done, guys. Oh my god. First, you will taste. My hands are so full. That's what it's like in Slovenia. Oh my gosh. First, you will taste a glass of wine, then we'll give you a glass of red. This is the best booth here. What? Oh my gosh. So, tell me about the salami. He is producer. I make them. Yeah, no, no, we won't at all. Uh, we just put in salt, uh, 2.8% of salt, a little bit of pepper, wine, and garlic in wine. And then we make, we cut, we cut... Pork, pork, pork. 
It's yeah, pork. pork. Only pork. pork. We eat pork. We in Slovenia we love pork. A little obsessed maybe. And uh, we cut uh, this fat on hand, and then we make salamis, and we cure them for three, four months. That's uh, chardonnay. Chardonnay, which is produced uh, in the wine region of Goriška Brda, which is on the Italian border. It's one of the best uh, Slovenian region uh, for making uh, beautiful white and red dry wines, like Chardonnay, Pinot Blanc, Pinot Grigio. And also the second one uh, you will taste here, it will be Merlot Cabernet Franc. It's from the same region. Okay. You will see. Uh, we'll try another piece of the cheese. And do you make the cheese yourself as well? Yeah, this is from mountain cheese. Milk doesn't have any, uh, um, how do you say, additives to get, cows don't have any additives to get more milk. Just uh, flowers and uh, it's full fat. Maybe, you know, we say uh, if you eat too much, you have troubles. You know? No, we Potential. We're joking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I didn't know. It's also say Slovenia. Fair and honey. Schnapps. Wow. So try. And I think uh, everything what happened now in this minute answer your question. What are we famous for? Oh my goodness. Yeah. This is more than just fly fishing. This is. You guys do hospitality. Yeah. You know? We do. Now we drink. I feel Slovenia with love. There you go. Yeah. All right. Now we're going to go to a red. Touristic brand. And the best fly fishing in Slovenia is with Dreamfly Outfitter. Okay. Tell me more about marble trout. A unique species. Lives only in Socha River and their tributaries. Looks like, let me say for Americans, like a tiger trout, but green color. All right. Uh, can can grow up to to one yard or more. That's the biggest trout can grow in the world, I think so. And are they related to Timon? No, no, no. That's it's not. Uh, it's a trout. Uh, the, the, uh, the European Timon is uh, Hucho Hucho. Uh, we also have it in Slovenia, but that's in Danube uh, River and tributaries. That's on the other side because Socha River is. Uh, is floating into the Adriatic Sea and Danube is going to the Black Sea, you know, and they are not separated together. It's a little bit different uh, on the different valleys. Socha Valley is uh, uh, close on the, almost on the Italian border. You, well, guys are, you guys are too much. You're done, you're done now. Guys. Yeah, this is going to make my walk back much easier. <laughs> I need to get a photo with everyone too. So now, so now take it over, you're, we are visiting here, England, what would it be like if you visit us? I'm gonna have to bring some of our food, but I might have to make a trip now. We don't eat hamburgers and all this stuff, you know, like you have it. You guys eat real food, not processed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Those beetles are so cool looking. Special show price, you know. <laughs> yeah. What about what's this one? Your dragonfly nymph? Uh, sort of it, yeah, but. Um, Without the tail, it's yeah. a little bit artificial, Woven. you know. Um, yeah, these are just so cool looking. You like it? It almost looks like a fingernail. Oh no, you guys are too kind. Mm. Thank you. All right, anything else before I sign off? You're always welcome in Slovenia.
this stuff is the best because it's the coming only second year, you know. Uh, example, last year you don't come, this year to start it, you know. Is that a specific beetle? This is the... Um, um, in the um, not my, not may fly, but my may uh, may bug. Okay. This is the may bug, and this may bug it's coming only second year. You understand? This year it's coming. Next year no. Again it's 2021. Fish now. This year yes, because so it's the they last. See them, the fish go nuts. 2018 it's not coming up. You know you don't. Uh, okay. But it's coming a second year. You understand me? Mm -hmm. Biannual. Yeah, this, this is really specific because uh, it's... Uh, uh, I don't know why. Sorry for this. Really, I don't know. This is the, the nature, you know. This is the nature. And nature is... It's amazing, you know. Alright. Let's get a group photo together, then. Alright, and your website? Okay, photo will cost you, you know. That was for free, but that's... Uh, I'm joking. Okay, what's your website? Uh, govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.govic.gov